Good morning. Before I say anything, I'm going to start off with a word of prayer. Father God, I ask that you would uh, be with me and uh, may my words be your words. Guard my mind and tongue that I may only declare that is true, that what is true in your word. As your word is preached, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to apply the truth of your gospel. We bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to do something a little bit different today. We're actually going to have an overview of a whole book of the Bible. We're going to be looking at the often forgotten or overlooked book of Esther. And uh, just some quick facts about Esther. Um, it's one of only two books of the Bible named after women. The other, of course, being Ruth. And we'll be looking at that next week. This book has 10 chapters in it, and it covers a span of 10 years. The author is unknown, but the author is probably a Jew and likely has knowledge of the Persian culture at the time. It's the last of the 12 historical books in the Old Testament that point to Christ. This book reads like a fairy tale. It has kings and queens and good guys and bad guys. But it is real and it is true. And it has truths in it that can definitely apply to us. One more interesting note is that in this book, God isn't mentioned. It's perhaps the only book of the Bible where that's true. Yet even though he isn't mentioned, it's, a, it's an effective literary tool that you can see his hand working through all the events and purposes for his glory. Take a look at the Jewish people at the time. You see, the Jews at the time, they were in captivity. Because of their unbelief and frequent warnings, God allowed the Babylonian Empire to overthrow them, and they were taken into captivity for a period of almost 70 years. After the Babylonians, they were defeated by the Persians and the Medes. Persians and the Medes were led by King Cyrus, and God stirred Cyrus's heart and actually allowed the Jews to return to their homeland, of which they did. They returned from exile um, in different waves. Some people went this time, and then years later, a few more and a few more. And those stories are, can be read in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. But what happened to the people who stayed, who didn't return? And, and why didn't they return? The book of Esther gives us some taste of that. It's about the people that stayed there. Why? Why did they stay? I think they were comfortable. They had stability. They were in the world and of the world. In many ways, they adopted the customs, the way of life of the society. And this is a dangerous thing. Their identity was leaning more on the influences of their culture and less on being a people chosen by God. How easy is it for today, for us as believers, to fall into that same trap? So let's look at this book. This book has five main characters and events. First one is King Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus, he is a ruthless dictator. Sometimes his name is referred to as King Xerxes, that's his Greek name, but uh, Ahasuerus demands loyalty. If you prove your loyalty, that will be rewarded until he gains and holds on to power. If you're not, look out. He's got this reputation of being ruthless 
and irrational and has a terrible temper, um, a severe anger problem. He's so powerful. His kingdom stretches from Ethiopia all the way to India, 127 provinces. Ahasuerus also likes to, loves to show off, loves to show off his wealth. And the book opens up where he's having a six-month, 180-day party. Now, scholars believe that this party was to show off his, or shore up, his military support. He's eventually going to be fighting the Greeks, the next up-and-coming empire. And he needs to get his generals and his military officials together to plan for this. And, and that's what this 180-day gathering is. And, and at the end of that, he had a bonus seven-day party. It was in the capital of Susa. There was extravagant wealth flaunted throughout the lands. And there was uh, a rule that you could drink as much as you wanted. Whatever you want to do. You can imagine the drunkenness. Clearly, Ahasuerus likes to show off. Which brings us to our next character, his queen, Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti, while all the men are having their party, she's over in another area of the palace having a party with the women. Ahasuerus wants to show her off as well. So he, he sends one of his officials, go get my queen and bring her out here and, and have her wear the royal crown and she can dance in front of us and then everybody can see how beautiful she is. Vashti gets this message. She's an independent woman. She refuses. Oh, tell the king I'm not doing that. Message gets back to the king. He's enraged. He is so angry at his queen Vashti for this refusal. He consults with his officials and they come up and they say, King, you gotta deal with this. If word gets out that she's refusing you, then all, all of our wives are going to do the same thing. We, we got to put a squash to this. In his haste, they decide to banish the queen. Strip her from a crown. She's gone. In between chapters 1 and 2, Ahasuerus, scholars believe, that goes off and fights against the Greeks. And, and uh, things aren't going as easy as planned. And he comes back and, and chapter 2 starts and... And Ahasuerus is kind of sad. He's, he's like, he, he kind of misses Queen Vashti. His officials are like, whoa, 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 we can't do that. See, one of the things about the Persian law is that once there's a law made by the king, you can't change it. Okay, So they can't even bring Queen Vashti back if they want it. They come up with a plan. Let's have a Miss Persia contest. We'll grab all the virgins throughout all the land, bring them to the king, and the king can choose who he wants to be the next queen. This brings us to our next character, Esther, whom the book is named after. Esther was an incredibly beautiful young woman. She was a Jew. Her name was Hanharasa, which means myrtle. Her Persian name, Esther, was named after the Persian goddess, pagan goddess, Ishtar, meaning star. Esther was an orphan. She was being raised by her older cousin named Mordecai. That's the next character. So we have King Ahasuerus, Vashti, Esther, now Mordecai. 
Mordecai is also named after a pagan god, Marduk, the god of war. They both have pagan names, more evidence that they were attaching themselves to their culture. He was a son of Kish, we'll get to that later. He was Esther's older cousin, took her in and cared for her as a father. It seems like he had some kind of job in the palace. He had access to the palace. Well, Esther is seen as this beautiful virgin. She's taken into the palace. They really didn't have much choice. But nowhere in the Bible does it say or indicate that they tried to escape this. This actually went against the law of Moses, which wasn't mentioned here. And God forbade that a Jew marry a Gentile. I would think that there would be some expression of worry or fear, but we don't see that. This beauty pageant is risky for Esther because if she doesn't get selected, she'll basically, basically be kept solely to satisfy the king's pleasures. And for a period of a year, she and the others are beautified, they're given cosmetics, and taken to the king who, who basically raped them. Ultimately, upon seeing Esther, King Ahasuerus falls in love with her. She becomes the queen. Mordecai specifically warns Esther, do not tell them that you are Jewish. Mordecai kept a close eye on the now Queen Esther in the court to make sure she was okay. Well, lo and behold, as Mordecai is keeping watch, one day in the court, he overhears two of the court officials and they're discussing a plot. They're planning on killing and assassinating King Ahasuerus. I gotta I got say something here. He, he tells and informs Esther. Esther tells the king. The king does an investigation. It's true. They deal swiftly with these two officials and they're killed. And the Persians took specific and excellent records. They wrote everything down. This event was written in the Chronicles of the Kings of Persia. Last character, Haman. Haman is a bad guy. He's, he's like the prime minister. He's like the number two guy behind the king Ahasuerus. He loves honor. He loves attention. He loves prestige. He only cares about himself. When he walks by, everyone bows down. Except Mordecai. This enrages Haman. But there's more. And this is in the Bible that names in the Bible are important. It tells us that Haman is an Agagite. What is that? Well, it goes back, way back into the beginning of the Old Testament. And basically, he's an Agagite and a Malachite. And Mordecai is a son of Kish. This is kind of like the Hatfields and McCoys. They have the biblical version of this is the Agites and the Kishes. They have a family history. They don't like each other. They hate each other. Haman hates Mordecai. And that's not only him. He wants all of the Jews killed. And he goes to the king and actually gets permission to do this. He convinces the king that'll gain him money. He consults astrologers over a long period of time as to what is the best date that we can slaughter all the Jews. They, they cast lots, pure, pur, 
And finally, they figure out that the best day to do this is on the 13th day of the 12th month. A decree was made that the Persians are to kill every Jew, young and old, woman and child. And that brings us to chapter 4 of Esther, which I'm going to read right now. Esther chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on his sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young woman and eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hattach, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hattach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for the destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king and beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there's but one law to be put to death, except the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter, so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to the king in these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young woman will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything that Esther had ordered him. The people are in mourning. They're under a death sentence. Mordecai tells Esther to plead for the Jews in front of the king. They communicate with each other through Hathach. Esther panics. 
She hasn't been seen in 30 days. She could be put to death just for going into his presence. Mordecai warns her, if you keep silent, help will come for the Jews, but you and your father's house will perish. See, he has faith here. He challenges Esther. Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther gives a response. She's, she's changed. Gather the Jews. Fast for three days. She and her young woman will do the same. And with fasting, there is, in the Bible, there is always prayer. Prayer to who? Prayer to God. She will go to the king. She will plead to help. If I perish, I perish. You see, when she finally realized what was going on, Esther had a fear for her people, a fear for herself. She was in crisis. She realized that she could not do this alone. This caused her to fast, to pray, to ask for others to fast and pray for her for three days. They had a death sentence on them. Where would they look for salvation? Esther was panicked for her loved ones, for her people. That dreadful, scary feeling. Is it not the same for us when we get news that a loved one was in an accident and we don't know if they're going to make it? Our dear friend has a medical diagnosis and it's not good. And he's got a wife and young kids. It's devastating. The angst that we feel, it's hard to put in words sometimes, yet we think of Esther in her situation here. Would she say something to the king? Esther, perhaps you were put in such a time as this. Her people were in great danger. They had a death sentence on them. You see, Esther, in her conflict with Haman, was driven away from her faith in her own beauty and the power that it brought her in her imagination that by clinging to this empire that she could save herself. Because of this crisis with Haman, she began to seek her future and the one who would not be mentioned or named in her book, God. It's not exactly the same, but I want you to take a moment and do something difficult. Think about those feelings of fear and worry that we feel when our loved ones are in such dire predicaments, or even if not just, just, just Think about how much we, we might react if we were to get such horrible news. How would that make us feel? And in thinking about that, what about this question? How often do we think about the eternal condition of our loved ones and friends' souls? Do we consider the fact that for eternity without God, they have an eternal death sentence. This should put us in an even greater desire to see, 
to want to see that situation change where our loved ones would instead have hope and would be saved. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. We read it earlier in the service, Romans 9.3. He went to the extreme of saying, but I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers and sisters. The Bible says that there is one mediator between men, between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus himself says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do we believe that? for ourselves? Do, do we believe that for our loved ones? And if we believe that what Jesus is saying is true, may we respond to that by following Esther's example, by praying for our loved ones, by fasting for our loved ones, that God might open up their eyes and change their hearts so that they would receive the good news of salvation in Christ alone. Let's look for opportunities to be used by God to give a reason for the hope that is inside us. May we love our neighbors as ourselves by speaking to them the gospel truth and, and, and demonstrating to them in real and tangible ways the love God has for them. Perhaps we were put in this position. The people we have in our lives were not put there by accident. What an awesome opportunity that we have that we can be used by God for such a time as this. What happened to Esther? After the days of fasting, Esther approaches the king, who does raise his scepter and allows her to enter. What do you want? What can I do for you, Esther? She responds, please, you and Haman, come to a feast that I will prepare for you. <laughs> he likes that idea. He, he likes feast. Okay. Haman likes the attention. Okay. At the feast, he asks her again, Esther, what can I do for you? And, the timing isn't right. Esther knows the timing isn't right. She says, my king, if it please you, come to a feast tomorrow. Another feast, you and Haman. Okay. King agrees. Haman's loving this. He likes this. He's feeling great. He goes out and he sees Mordecai at the gate. He's enraged that Mordecai won't bow to him. He goes home. He consults with his wife. Haman's like, what am I going to do? They decide that afternoon to build the gallows 75 feet high to have Mordecai killed, hung on it the next day. Meanwhile, that night, as it turns out, that night, King Ahasuerus can't sleep. He's got insomnia. He, he asked for the history books to be read to him. That's a good idea to go to sleep. His officials just so happened to pull the Chronicles of the Kings of Persia, and he hears the story about how Mordecai saved his life. And, and he asked them, how, what did we do for him? Did, did we ever repay him? No. He decides to ask the very first official the next morning what they should do, and lo and behold, Haman comes in. 
He says to Haman, what should be done to the man the king delights to honor? <laughs> Haman thinks he's talking about himself. Haman's like, oh, give him the royal crowns. Give him the royal robes that the king has worn. Give him the horse that the king has ridden. And, and have one of the princes lead that man through, through the uh, city, shouting. Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. The king likes this idea. Great. Amen. Go do that for Mordecai. Give him the robe and crown, and you lead him on the horse throughout the city. Amen is enraged and embarrassed, and then comes Esther's feast. It's here where the timing is right. The king asks Esther, what is your wish? And she says, I need deliverance for my life and for the life of my people. I am a Jew and my people are about to be killed. The king is so angry. He demands to know who is threatening you. And she reveals, it's Haman. This enrages the king so much, he storms out of there. Haman comes up to Esther, begs for his life. The king comes in and sees this and thinks that Haman is attacking Queen Esther. And right there, demands his officials, take Haman, and Haman is hanged on the very gallows that he had built for Mordecai. Do you ever think, who are you in this story? Are you an Esther? Being used by God to, to pray and fast for your loved ones and bring them the good news? Are you Mordecai? Looking out for, encouraging, challenging other believers. And, and who, who is challenging you? Who are you challenging in the faith? What about Haman? You know, the more I look at this story and I study it, because of my sin, my selfishness, wanting my way, my anger issues, I am Haman. I deserve to have the same outcome that he did, to be hung on the gallows. But thanks be to God. Because of his perfect and all-powerful love for me and for you, he saves us. Jesus was hanged instead on a cross in our place. God's all-powerful and invisible hand of protection and providence, working out all things to his glory, is so incredibly clear in this story. His way will not be thwarted. How easy is it for us to miss that in our lives today? If we don't see God. With all the challenges of life, it's so easy to be discouraged or even distraught, especially with the coronavirus and everything that's going on, distraught with what's going on in this world. But take comfort. Know that God is in control and causing everything to work together for the good those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Even today, even in your life, 
right now. And the story God defeated evil through his plan and his course of action. He saved the Jewish people through his providence that was immortal, invisible, and God-only wise. And just like in this story, you see, the story points to another saving grace. How we, you and I, had a death sentence on us and a date for destruction. But that's not to be. Because Christ has saved us and there will be a banquet of banquets and a celebration of celebrations. Let's take joy in that. Look at the contrast of, of Haman, the king wannabe, who looked for power, who looked for prestige, who looked for honor at any cost, and his manipulative and deceitful ways, evil was killed and was hung. Contrast that to our true king who came in humility and peace, who took our place and was hanged on the cross out of love for us. Often the greatest fruit born in Christianity is the sacrifice done where God seems most absent. The cross of Jesus is, of course, the central example. Jesus cries out that the Father has forsaken him. He quotes Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But no, that with us, he will never leave us or forsake us. Multiple books in the Bible in the Old and New Testament remind us of that. Deuteronomy 31.8, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Here in the Esther story, where even the name of God is not mentioned, and where the people of God seem to have lost their identity and allegiance to God, God shines through, through the example of an orphan girl. And in this book, even though the name of God isn't mentioned, there's so many twists and turns in the story that are incredible. They could not possibly happen by chance. There's a reason and a purpose. My question to you is, as you look back on your own life, can you tell yourself the story, your story, of how God has weaved things in so intricately and delicately and perfectly to bring you here in the arms of his grace? How he worked out all things. Are you able to tell your story? Are you able to give the reason for the hope that is in you? A challenge of to spend time contemplating it, thinking about it, telling yourself the story, telling it to others. The amazing things that God has done for you. What a powerful testimony that that will be to those that God puts in your life. Know your story. Write it down. Be able and willing to tell your story, how God has worked in your life. Let's diligently pray for our loved ones, for their souls. May we depend on each other. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Fellow believers, we can share with each other who we're praying for. That can be one-on-one -on -one in small groups and Bible studies. Let's be thankful that God is always good. He has won. He will never leave us or forsake us. The story ends, the Jews are triumphant. They could not undo the law that threatened them, 
but they were able to create a new law, one saying that they could protect themselves from any threat. God delivered them, and there was great feast and celebration in their victory. They were safe, secure. They established the holiday of Purim that Jews still celebrate today. Because of his providence, God's people were victorious and had an amazing celebration. That points to the celebration and victory we had and will have in Christ. Our response? Let's rejoice. Our salvation is secure. The banquet and celebration for eternity is real. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that in you we have hope, security, victory, and peace. Help us and use us to tell the world this treasure we have found. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may the people in our lives come to know Jesus as Lord. Where there are hearts that are indifferent to you, we ask that you would open the eyes of their hearts, that may, they may see you, that you're real. Where there's hearts that are hardened to you and people angry at you, we ask that you would soften those hearts so that they would know your peace. And Lord, where there are broken hearts, devastated by the hurts they've experienced, we ask that you bind up those hearts in the cords of your love. We ask these things so that, God, you will be praised, your name glorified, your church strengthened. May your kingdom come and your will be done, that we may grow in our love for each other and for you, looking forward to the day when we would celebrate in the feast at the banquet of our King forever. We ask all this in Jesus' name, in whom we give all glory, laud, and honor, our blessed and eternal King. Amen.